0: Welcome and thank you for connecting with us at Parkwood Baptist Church. Here at Parkwood, we exist to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. You can find more information about our church at parkwoodonline.org. By visiting our website, you will be able to learn more about Parkwood and our mission. Now join us as we grow together through the teaching of God's word. Pastor Jeff is away with his family on vacation this week. So uh, I'm excited to be sharing God's word with you from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1-6. through 6. Uh, So if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and be flipping there. Uh, my name is Matt Harris, and I have the, the joy and privilege to share as the student pastor here at Parkwood. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1-6. through 6. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us from your word, not just to inform our minds, but to change our hearts. We pray that we would leave here today obedient to you from the heart, having seen your generosity and grace and kindness toward us so that we may give and live in generosity towards others. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife Mallory and I are blessed with three uh, young children, ages five, three, and eight months. So suffice it to say that sharing is a common topic of conversation in our household. And there's one particular setting that provides lots of opportunity for conversation. We were very fortunate to live in a neighborhood and on a street where there are a lot of kids who are the same age as our kids. And so it's not uncommon for uh, a lot of the kids to all be outside at the same time. And, And so there's just toys everywhere and kids everywhere. Everybody brings their toys out into the driveway. Kids are running up and down the street, grabbing toys off other people's driveways and just having a great time together. Well, on more than one occasion, we've had to talk to our kids because they'll be playing with somebody else's toy, and when another kid comes to play with that toy, or worse, when the kid who the toy belongs to comes to ask them to play with that toy, they say no. They selfishly cling to the toy like it's their toy. What's the obvious problem? It's not their toy. They are playing with it because someone else was generous enough to share it with them, which makes their lack of generosity and sharing all the more ridiculous. This is what Paul is getting at in these verses. When we realize that everything we've been given is a gracious gift from God, that we have nothing to call our own, then it requires that we be that much more generous With the things we've been given. To cling to our stuff like it's our stuff reveals a fundamental misunderstanding of who truly owns all that we have. So the main idea for this morning is that generosity recognizes the gracious source of giving and the responsibility to bountifully give. Paul ends chapter 8 by introducing us to this group of three men, this delegation, if you will, of Titus and two other men who are unnamed. And he's sending them to Corinth as a part of the collection process because the churches are gathering resources and funds to help and support the church in Jerusalem who's going through a time of affliction. Now, at the end of chapter eight, Paul tells us that one of the reasons for this group of three men coming is for the purposes of accountability and integrity. He wants to assure the Corinthians that their gift will be well secured by three, not just one, but three godly men. Well, in this passage this morning, nine, one through six, he refers to this group of men again, but his emphasis is different. He says that in addition to the purpose of accountability and integrity, the purpose of him sending these three men is to actually secure the gift, to not let Corinth off the hook by saying, yes, we're willing to give, but for these three men to actually come secure the gift. And not just any gift, but a generous gift that's given freely and joyfully. So the first point that we see is that generosity recognizes the gracious source of giving. It's not too often that a biblical writer straight up tells us what the point of his uh, writing is. But we're blessed with that in verse 6. So we're going to start in verse 6 and work our way backwards. Paul says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So, Paul uses a very common agricultural illustration of sowing and reaping to explain his point. Now, this illustration is used all throughout the Bible to uh, explain several different types of things, but here, Paul specifically applies it to giving. And the point is straightforward and clear what you put in is what you get out. But before we move into the actual meaning of verse six, we need to see that there's an assumption underneath verse six that's crucial. If we're going to sow seed, which we've been commanded to do, it assumes that we have seed to sow. So question, where did the seed come from? Or to ask it more generally, more applicably to our audience today, where do you get the resources to be generous? Does it come from your hard work? Does it come from your intellect? Does it come from your financial prudence and wisdom? If it came from us, if our generosity and the resources that we have to be generous came from us, that would give us grounds for boasting. But look what Paul says in verse 10 about who the seed belongs to. He says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So who is the he that supplies the seed? It's God. The seed that we have to sow has been supplied by God so that all generosity ultimately finds its source in God, which means that he gets the glory and praise for the results of our generosity which means that our generous giving is nothing more than a response to the gracious gifts that God has given us. We have nothing to call our own. We have nothing to give that hasn't already been given to us. Deuteronomy 8 expresses these truths well in verses 11 through 18. Israel is sitting on the brink of the promised land. They're about to enter into the the abundant land, the land flowing with milk and honey that God has promised them and is now providing for them. And listen to God's warning right as they get set to enter. He says, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I commanded you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Beware, God says, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. James 1:17 summarizes it well in the New Testament. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from where? From above, down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. When I was a teenager, my dad was always quick to remind me, my car wasn't my car. My phone wasn't my phone. They were paid for with his money. So technically they were his and he was just letting me use them. And when we have that mindset that God has given us everything that we have, it sets us free from one of humanity's ugliest characteristics, entitlement. If you've ever been around a a demanding child before, you know what I'm talking about. A demanding child makes your blood pressure boil for two reasons. It's not just that they're demanding. It's that they're demanding even though they're dependent. You would think that someone who's completely dependent on a parent to reach up into the pantry to grab their food would at least ask with some kindness and humility. The problem of generosity is a problem of perspective we fail to see our complete dependence on the Lord. We fail to see that all we have is the result of his gracious gift giving. And when we fail to realize that, it produces in us selfishness, stinginess, and entitlement. But when we recognize that all we have is a gift from God, it produces humility and generosity. So once we've recognized the gracious source of giving, then we can recognize and we can prioritize the responsibility to bountifully give. So now let's jump into the actual meaning of verse six. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The word sparingly can also be translated stingily. And the word bountifully, this is interesting, it's not actually an adverb here, it's a noun. And it's the word, it's the Greek word for a blessing. So that word blessing carries more to its meaning than just a large quantity. That word blessing may have material, but it certainly has spiritual undertones underneath it. So when Paul says that those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully, he's not simply saying that they're giving large quantities We know that because Paul so far has never equated generous giving with the giving of large quantities. Every time he's talked about it in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 8, and 2 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about giving as giving according to what you have, according to your means. And some people simply don't have large quantities to give. I'm reminded of the widow in Luke 21, 1 through 4. Jesus is sitting back and he's observing what's happening at the temple. And these uh, men are coming who are very wealthy and they're dropping these enormous offerings into the offering box at the temple. And then a woman, a a widow comes and, and drops in two small copper coins. And listen to what Jesus says about this poor widow's offering. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. So the term bountifully isn't limited to the size of the gift, but to the spirit of the giver. It means to give with the desire to be a blessing, to give kindly, freely, and with goodwill. Now there is a relationship between the attitude of the giver and the amount that they give. Someone who has a stingy attitude will approach giving by asking the question, what must I give? And will inevitably give less. Whereas someone who's giving bountifully with the desire to bless will ask the question, what can I give? And will inevitably give more. But the quantity of the gift is secondary to the heart behind it. You can give loads of money, but still be sowing sparingly. You can give small amounts, but still be sowing bountifully. Ultimately, it's a matter of the heart. Now let's back up and ask this question. Why is Paul talking about this? Why is he reminding them or commanding them that they have a responsibility to sow, to give bountifully? It goes back to the agricultural principle that you reap what you sow. And Paul wants them to sow a bountiful gift so that they will receive a bountiful blessing. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean what a lot of prosperity preachers today want it to. It doesn't mean that God will take your money and multiply it 10 times or a hundred times, and you'll walk away with way more cash than you ever gave away. It doesn't mean that those who are faithfully generous to the church will be protected from times of economic downturn. The life and teaching of Jesus and the life and teaching of the apostles in the early church completely refute every bit of the false prosperity gospel. So then what does it mean to sow a blessing and reap a blessing? It simply means that those who give with the desire to bless others will be blessed. And that blessing is a spiritual blessing, which may or may not have a material component to it. But what's clear in verse eight, is that the blessing you receive as a result of your generosity isn't just for you. The purpose of the blessing is to equip you to continue in generosity towards others. Look at verse eight. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So generosity isn't an investment strategy for getting materially rich. But it is an investment strategy for producing the fruit of righteousness that results in the glory and praise of God. And just as a a point of obvious application, I don't know many people on their deathbed who have looked back over their life of stinginess and selfishness and were filled with happiness, joy, and comfort by the fruit that their stinginess produced. On the other hand, I can think of many funerals that I've attended throughout my life of people who were generous with their time, with their money, with their talents. And the impact of their life not only provides a blessing for them as they persevere through their dying days, but it also provides a blessing to all the recipients of their generosity throughout their lifetime. As Paul says in Acts twenty thirty five, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So now that we understand Paul's aim, that that he desires the Corinthians to sow bountifully so that they can reap bountifully. Now we can better understand the purposes of verses one through five. Verses one through five are the practical steps that Paul is taking to ensure that the Corinthians give a bountiful gift. So that a bountiful harvest can be reaped. And he gives them three specific things that he says are necessary in their case for giving a bountiful gift. That is that they eagerly give, that they actually give, and that they plan to give. Look at verses one and two. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. He's saying it's unnecessary. I've already done it a lot. I've done it all throughout chapter eight and moving into chapter nine. So it's unnecessary for me to keep writing to you about this. Why? Verse two, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, but your zeal has stirred up most of them. So he's saying, I know that you're ready to give. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, right? You're, you're ready. And he encourages them in their readiness. In fact, Paul says that he had used their eagerness as a means of motivating the poor Macedonians that were mentioned in chapter eight. You remember them? The Macedonians were poor, they were, they were impoverished, and they were going through a severe test of affliction. But even in the midst of those circumstances, Paul says that that their joy erupted into a wealth of generosity, a wealth of generous giving. But here, Paul says that part of the reason for them bursting forth in generous giving is because he had told them how eager the Corinthians were to give. And since Paul takes this opportunity to encourage and affirm the Corinthians, I want to take this opportunity to encourage you, Parkwood, in your generosity. I've been the student pastor here for about five years. And we do several big events uh, throughout the year, fall retreat, 180 weekend, and summer camp. And there are kids in our students in our student ministry who come from families that uh, don't have a lot of resources or that don't have any family at all and almost every single event that has transpired over my time here, somebody has initiated contact with me to say, hey, here's some money to pay for an extra spot. If there's a student who can't go, make sure that this covers them. Usually they don't even know who the student is. They don't have a specific student in mind. They're just eager to share the gifts that God has given them to see more young people get connected and grow and mature in the faith. When I think about Parkwood generosity, I also think about the first Christmas that I was here for the international missions offering. I'd grown up in Southern Baptist life. I had seen the offering done and I'd been a part of churches who had given a lot of money, but never as I sat right over there, did I expect 100% of the congregation to bring their offerings forward when it came time for us to give our money for the international missions offering. I was so struck by the generosity of the church not just in the amount that was given, but by everyone who participated. So thank you for showing me what it looks like to be a generous church. But as those examples prove, it's not just the eagerness to give that's important, but the actual act of giving. Bountiful giving is more than having a willing spirit. It actually has to be followed through. so that's what Paul says in verses three through five. He says he's sending the brothers to secure the gift. In verse two, he affirms and encourages the Corinthians. He says, I know that you're eager to give, that's great. But in verse three, he says, I'm sending the brothers. They're coming to make sure that this offering gets given. Now there's three reasons that Paul shows us in verses three through five, about why it's so crucial for the Corinthians to actually follow through with a gift. The first is in verse three. It's that Paul says he's already boasted about the Corinthians generosity to other people. He says, but I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be. So Paul's already told the Macedonians the Corinthians are eager to give and his integrity is on the line if the Corinthians don't follow through. Can you imagine being a member of that Macedonian church? You're poor, you're in affliction, you don't have much to give, but by God's grace, your joy abounded in a wealth of generosity. And part of your excitement for giving was because Paul told you how excited the Corinthians were to give. And then men from your church in Macedonia go with Paul to get the offering from the Corinthians. And you go to the city of Corinth where wealth is abounding. And you see that these guys haven't followed through. They would think that Paul was a liar. They would think that Paul was a manipulator who had lied to them about the Corinthians just to secure a more bountiful gift from them. So we see that Paul's integrity is on the line, but not only Paul's integrity, also the Corinthians. Look at verse four. He says, otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you. (laughs) So if the Macedonians got to Corinth and realized that the offering hadn't been collected, they would think the Corinthians were a bunch of arrogant, stingy Christians who weren't after real generosity, but only the appearance of generosity. And there's a third reason that Paul gives that he wants them to actually give. He says that if they don't actually give, they'd be breaking a promise. Look at verse five. He says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised. How often do we make spiritual commitments for the sake of appearing spiritual with no real effort to actually follow through. I'll be praying for you, but do we pray? I'll fill out that commitment card for missions, for the lobby, to serve somewhere in the church, but do we actually follow through? It's nice to feel spiritual, It's nice for other people to think that we're spiritual, but the bountiful blessing doesn't come from only an eagerness to give. It comes from the actual gift. And so we see the third thing that Paul does to secure a bountiful gift. And that is in verse five, he tells them to plan to give. He says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised. In 1 Corinthians 16.2, when Paul first mentions this offering, here's what he says. He says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So Paul tells them every week, they're supposed to be doing this from back a year ago, every week, put a little bit aside so that when I come in a year, you'll be able to give it doesn't look like they've been following instructions. So now he's having to send Titus and these two other guys to make the Corinthians do what they should have been doing all along. Now, why is it so important that there be a plan in place for giving? He tells us in the second half of verse 5 so that it, that is the gift, may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Now, throughout the New Testament, that Greek word for exaction is most often translated greed or covetousness. So the idea is that if the Corinthians don't plan accordingly, when Paul shows up to collect the money, it's not going to feel like a gift. They're going to be scrambling around, reaching into their pockets, seeing what it is that they have left over to give. And they're not going to give generously. It's not going to feel like a gift. It's going to feel like a tax. It's going to feel like the IRS showed up on your door because you haven't turned your taxes in on time. I don't know about you guys, maybe I'm the only one. Do y'all just get stirred up to generosity when you're filling out your tax papers? Do y'all just, you just love giving your money over to the government? None of us do. It's It's a terrible feeling. It doesn't produce the desire to give more. It produces greed. That's what Paul's saying. It produces this desire to hold on to. And if that's the attitude of the gift, then we see from verse six, they miss out on the blessing of the gift because they're not sowing bountifully, they're sowing stressfully. So just a quick point of application on this. Am I structuring my finances in such a way to be able to give generously? The international missions offering is about three months away. Do you have a plan from now to then to maybe set aside a little bit each month to be able to bring an offering so that you're not sitting in here in the room feeling guilty that everyone's moving and you're not, but that you're able to participate in the generous giving. Because if you give out of guilt, you're not giving with the right heart. That's Paul's point in all of this. He wants to produce cheerful givers, which we'll see next week. Now, here's a, a question as we move out of this point on planning. Ultimately is good planning sufficient to make us eager, bountiful givers? No. Good planning might secure the gift, but it doesn't guarantee to secure the heart. Now throughout chapters eight and nine, Paul has continually referred to the act of giving as an act of Grace. And Kevin DeYoung in his book, The Hole in Our Holiness says this, grace flowing out of us is evidence that grace has flowed into us. So how do you get the grace of generosity flowing out of your heart? You have to get the grace of God's generosity flowing into your heart. So we ask this question in application, having recognized the gracious source of giving, are you bountifully giving? You see, the second clause depends on the first. If you've not recognized the gracious source of giving, you will not bountifully give. To say it another way, the level to which we recognize God's gracious generosity towards us will determine whether or not we bountifully give. And when we get God's grace clearly in view, our giving no longer feels like a burden. It no longer feels like a sacrifice, but it feels like a blessing and a privilege. David Livingston was a missionary to Africa who experienced this. He lived in England and left England to go to Africa and serve as a missionary in the 1800s. And in 1857, toward the end of his life, he was speaking to students at Cambridge University about what it was like to leave the benefits of England to go to the bush of Africa. And here's what he said. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa, but is it really a sacrifice, that which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then, with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us and for us. Sacrifice? I never made a sacrifice. Is this how we think of our lives in general and our giving specifically? Are we so captured by the love and grace of God in our lives to the point that participating in the work of his kingdom is a blessing and not a burden? If we're not there, how do we get there? How do we begin to see God as the gracious source of giving that propels us into bountiful giving? The answer is simple, but more easily said than done. We look to Jesus In Romans 8.32, we see a beautiful verse that displays the extent of God's generosity towards us. Here's what Romans 8.32 says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not with him graciously give us all things? You understand what Paul's saying here? He's saying two crucial things. First, he's saying God has graciously provided all that we need for life and godliness. And there's a promise in here that he will continue to do so. And what's the basis of the promise? He spared no expense in the giving of his son. There is no greater act of grace. There is no greater act of generosity than for a righteous and holy God to look on the sinful fallen humanity that he created that's rebelled against him and to see the eternal weight of the debt that they owed on account of their sin and say, I will pay the price and I will do it with my own son. I will do it at the cost of my own son's life. And if God has spared no expense in the giving of his son, then we can know that he will graciously and generously provide for all of our needs. And if he has graciously and generously provided for all of our needs, how could we not generously share from the gracious supply that he's given to us? You wanna be filled with grace to sow bountifully? Consider the grace and generosity that God has poured out on you. And if you've never received that gift of grace that comes through Jesus' death and resurrection, I'd like to invite you to do so today. Let's pray. Generous, heavenly Father, we confess that all that we have is yours. And we humbly ask that you would help us to see that. We ask that you would protect us from stinginess and entitlement that comes from arrogant, prideful thinking that we have earned all that we have. I pray that you'd open our eyes to see your grace in our lives. And God, we we pray out of thanksgiving, knowing that you have not asked us to do anything that you yourself have not already done. You have generously supplied every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You have forgiven our sin. You've canceled our debt. You've granted us a righteousness that we did not earn, but that comes as the free gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You have filled us by your spirit with joy, patience, peace, kindness. You have given us the body of Christ, the church to provide for our needs to experience the love of Christ, to teach us your word, to find community and to live on mission. You've given us purpose and meaning in our lives in light of every generous gift you have given us. Make us a generous people. How selfish, how stingy we must be to spurn the grace and generosity that we've received in Jesus Christ. We love you, Father. We count our blessings and pray that you would use them and enable us to be a blessing to others. Pray this in Jesus' name.